Welcome to the CDC Podcast, episode 42. I'm your host, Eric Swain, and with me this month is YouTube content producer, Max Barnyard. Hello. For those who may not know him, Max Barnyard runs a YouTube channel named after himself where he has a series called Great Levels in Gaming. He started in January of 2014, and, well... How did you get into video-based game criticism? Oh, thank you for asking. And again, thank you for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. In terms of how I first got into it, a lot of people have guessed very accurately that one of my big influences was Aaron Hansen, or more more commonly known as Ego Raptor, and the creator of the Game Grumps. He, on his own personal channel, Ego Raptor, has a series called Sequelitis that, like, everybody has seen for good reason because it's really, really good. Back in, I think, 2013, I was starting to think about producing content. It was something I was interested in. I've played games pretty much my whole life, and I wanted to try to weave them into my professional life if, it was a, if at all possible. So when I saw that he produced an episode of Sequelitis specifically on, on the comparison between Mega, the, the original Mega Man series and the Mega Man X series, I was watching and I was just like enthralled the entire time. Uh, and the part that really stood out to me was his breakdown of the intro stage, like the way the first level worked and just how even something as simple as like the placement of the like the corpse of the mini boss, like the giant robot B mini boss to like lead you to figure out how to do a wall slide. Like like little things like that, I was just I was fascinated by them. And so I, I kind of took an inspiration from that that I wanted to take a look at individual levels break them down as best as I could as a consumer, just, you know, just playing the games, what can we see to give us a bit of insight into how these games might be made, what kind of thoughts the developers might have just based on what we can see. And that was the the inception of really the, the idea of covering level design. In addition to that, there were two inspirations at Rooster Teeth, with whom I've been contracting for a little while, uh, the first of which was Jack Patello, who's a friend of mine now, thankfully, because he's awesome. And no, they're not paying me to tell people that he's awesome. He's just a really cool guy. I remember in a podcast, I think it was in 2013 as well, he mentioned that uh, his section of Rooster Teeth, known as Achievement Hunter, would frequently receive questions specifically asking why they don't review video games. Because they play video games all day, they make guides on like how to find collectibles in Assassin's Creed, and like how to find uh, all sorts of stuff in Burnout Paradise. Those were the big ones, I think, early on. And, and they were asked, why don't you guys review games when so much of what you do, all of what you do, is in the gaming space? And the answer that they, that they always reply with really stuck out to me, which was that they only want to talk about the stuff they like. They only want to talk about what they enjoy doing. And that kind of struck a chord with me because, firstly, I don't really think that I could pull off negative criticism quite as well as a lot of other YouTubers, mostly because I don't really think of myself as being uh, funny enough to do that. Um, but at the same time, there's also there's a lot of content out there that's sort of critical on the negative side, like don't do this, don't do that. And while that's fine, and I actually have nothing against that type of content, I wanted to produce something on the other side of things. Like, okay, here's what I like, here's what I want to see in game design. Because as far as I see it, if uh, if I was a if I were a developer and all I was getting was okay, don't do X, don't do Y, don't do Z, it's kind of like a process of elimination of infinite possibilities like okay well i can't do all these things maybe this would work and i want to sort of be a voice on the side of like okay well if you're making a game that has x themes well here's a game that may have done that and here's what i liked about the way this level worked and it sort of wove together to make a look at levels that i like but i don't ultimately long-term want to stick to just levels i have an interest in maybe talking about mechanics i like I think one of the ones that's sort of on my pipeline that I'd like to get to at some point is a discussion of how I like the mechanics 
the aiming mechanics in, of all games, The Last of Us. This is sort of like in line with, I, I did an audio early on talking about why I actually like or appreciated the linearity of Final Fantasy thirteen, and, like, everyone came out of the woodwork for good reason to complain about it. Like, oh, no, no, it's so linear, it's so boring. And, and while I do respect those opinions, and to an extent I agree with them, there's something to be said for a game and a designer making a choice that may not be strictly fun, but may be in keeping with the themes of the game. And that's sort of what I want to do at some point with The Last of Us. That was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> those are the best type of answers. Okay, good. Phew. So... What exactly is your process in creating a video? It's actually, it's changed a lot over the course of my producing the series. Very early on, I've sort of, so starting off, I was covering the levels that most immediately stood out to me very early in producing uh, the series. I had like a big list of all the levels I wanted to cover, and I still have uh, a list like that. But early on, they were levels that I'd played recently enough that I could just start writing. And I would, I would just start writing the essay that I would eventually read off as the script, maybe just record general footage. Not a lot of terribly specific stuff. My first video was on the third real, like, main stage of Journey. And while it was talking about the level itself, I also talked about the levels that bookended, sort of lending context to why I liked that level. And it wasn't very, very specific footage. So I was able to get away with kind of just having a single playthrough of Journey as my source footage. I was able to record that ahead of time, then write, record the script, and kind of just put it together in a way that looked like it made sense to me. And worth keeping in mind, it was also like the first video I'd made for YouTube at all. It was the first one I'd done any production on since like eighth grade. We had like a lit class where we had to like make a video of our interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. That was like the only video editing experience I had prior, and it was all thrown out before the actual project was done anyway, so whatever, that was an 11-hour day lost. But I was in eighth grade, so whatever. <laughs> so when I was putting the video together with Journey, I was really taking a long time just kind of figure out what to do. In subsequent videos, I would refine my process a lot, and really every single video I would iterate on my process to a great degree. My second video, Far Cry, was I, I actually made a point of trying to do something new in every single video. I can't remember what all of them were now, but I remember in Far Cry 3, I wanted to see if I could, like, time sniper shots with my own voice, and it turned out okay. It turned out okay for somebody who had only done two videos at that point, <laughs> including the one in which they were located. But as I went on, I wanted to try new things in each video uh, and and really never stagnate. I've, I've stagnated more since then just because once you've made, like, I think I've done 24 videos just in that series now, it's like, it, there are going to be some recurring themes in the video production, but as it exists now, I've sort of narrowed it down, whittled it down to sort of a, a brainstorming phase, like a note-taking phase, where I'll take notes on what I can remember of the level, I'll play the level, add notes, kind of do that back and forth over and over, until I think I've got a complete enough set of notes that I can write an essay on, at which point I begin to write the essay. At this point, I'll often have recorded two, maybe three playthroughs of the level if I can. And depending on the game, that can be easier said than done. Like, for instance, something where, like Final Fantasy XIII was something that was actually very easy to record. I mean, you have the opportunity to save multiple save slots in the game. But I encountered an issue wherein I recorded five two-hour recordings just because I didn't want to be at a, at a lack of varied footage. I like to keep the footage different if I can. But what I encountered was that when I was 
transcoding them using Handbrake, and that's actually another step in my process, is whenever I've recorded the source footage, I've frequently transcoded it in Handbrake just to make the files a little bit more manageable. And I'll almost always do that anyway just to normalize the frame rate. With video game footage, just the nature of the beast is that the frame rate's often going to be variable. So in a video editor, variable frame rate is not fun for audio because audio is static. It's it's always the same pace, but a variable frame rate when the editor wants a constant frame rate can sometimes push the video out of sync with the audio. So I pretty much always run it through Handbrake at least to normalize the frame rate and often to make the files a bit smaller. When I was doing Final Fantasy XIII, however, I discovered that in the version of Handbrake that was current at the time, there was an option to, uh, I forget what the exact option was. I think it was like large file or large format or like web optimized or something. I can't remember the exact name of the, of the, the checkbox, but it was by default not checked. And you had to check this if the output file was going to be more than four gigs because it was the option essentially to change it between 32 and 64 bit output formats, which in this case only means 32-bit video formats, at least with MP4s coming out of Handbrake at the time, if they were more than four gigs, they wouldn't play at all. (laughs) So, in effect, I lost like 10 hours of footage in one fell swoop, Uh, and that was pretty pretty rough. That was like a devastating moment when I realized, I was like, oh, okay, 10 more hours of recording, let's do this, and and I did. And, And that was one of the things that it taught me, really, was that having just one set Procedure is great, but it's almost never going to go that smoothly. There's going to be something that messes up or changes or goes some way you don't expect, either like in the video recording, the transcoding, the editing, the rendering. Something's going to be weird, and I've started to try to factor that in whenever I'm making videos. I think I remember I was doing one for Achievement Hunter. Actually, the the most recent one that I did was last May on Cave Story. It was my second video for Cave Story, first being on my personal channel, and it was – I can't remember exactly what happened, but, I, oh, it was that I needed to change some of the wording that in my script. I needed to change the wording. And I didn't realize this until, like, the Friday before the Monday it was going to go live. So I had to, like, bail from, like, an after-work gathering from my full-time job at the time and just, like, sprint home, change the edit, like, change that voice recording, which means that I needed to go back into my video editor and realign the video clips to match the voiceover because, like, I, I try to match the video to relevant bits of the, the commentary. And I had to do this, like, all before the uploader at Achievement Hunter went home from work because they upload them on the Friday before the Monday they go live. <laughs> and it was just, like, the most ridiculous scramble, but just, like, the most perfect example of how nothing ever goes out as planned or goes as expected. So I think... Honestly, the biggest adjustment I've made to my process as I've gotten more used to it is sort of allowing for that X factor, whatever it might be, and trying to like to buffer for it, which I guess is just kind of the the experience of getting more professional with the editing. I guess going back to the beginning of the process is like, how do you choose what games or levels within a game to do? Okay. That one's changed over time a little bit as well, but the really the biggest factor is when I'm playing the level, especially for the first time, how I feel about it. Because like if I just have a lot of fun, like if just something as simple as having a lot of fun usually puts it on my list because that's really the only main criteria. Um, once I know that I enjoy something, it beca- the, the the work really becomes figuring out what 
like technical aspects of it, what sort of design elements might be contributing to that. In effect, I'm really always starting with the question. Well, it's starting with an answer. I like this. And then the question becomes, why do I like this? Unfortunately, in some cases, that means that some levels will automatically sort of disqualify themselves because I'll either not be able to figure out what exactly about it I like or the answer is like super obvious, like, oh, of course, because that's fun. And it's like, no, that's not a very satisfying analysis. So we can't really stick with that. I think one of the ones that I've had trouble thinking about how I want to talk about that I haven't put out and I have thought about off and on. And it's actually one that's one of the most commonly requested is the mission No Russian from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. This is the one for those who aren't familiar uh, with it, the level in which you play an undercover CIA agent, I believe CIA, but an American operative who's infiltrated a Russian terrorist cell, and you are a participant when said terrorist cell performs a false flag operation, a mass shooting at a Russian airport staged to eventually, you learn, look like an American attack. Uh, And the title comes from the leader of this terrorist group as you're exiting the elevator to begin the massacre says, remember, no Russian, because they don't, they want it to be apparent that it's an American attack. And it's one of the most commonly requested because it is a really affecting level in a game. But one of the things that I've always had trouble reconciling, especially after playing Grand Theft Auto V, wherein there's a similar mission that makes you torture an innocent victim. It's one of the hardest things for me to talk about with it was just trying to figure out what exactly was so affecting, most commonly after Grand Theft Auto, because GTA is very different from Modern Warfare 2, because it doesn't give you the out. Like in Modern Warfare 2, you can just not shoot the civilians. Uh, it changes a little bit when you start fighting against uh, police, but it's not, it, it, it does give you an out. So while I do look for levels that I just have a lot of fun with, I also try to find ones in which I feel like I can actually say something useful. Uh, another example of one that I'd love to talk about, but I don't think I really can say anything more than what other people have already said, could be Sen's Fortress in Dark Souls. It's uh, one that, like, everybody who's seen either one of my Dark Souls videos or my Bloodborne videos like, oh, do Sen's Fortress. We want to see Sen's Fortress. Do Sen's Fortress. Like, yeah, I'd love to. But there's also a really good article by, I don't know if he's still a contributor or was a former contributor, like a freelancer, but he put out an article on Kotaku basically using Sen's Fortress as the lens through which they looked at why people like Dark Souls more broadly. And it was a very good breakdown of what's good about Sense Fortress. Like the, as soon as you walk into it, you basically see a, everything that's in front of you, every, every kind of threat you'll have to deal with in one, in one room. There are like the walkways, the snake men, the swinging axes, the giant drops. And it really does show everything to you right away and then kind of expand as you go. And it's a very good analysis that makes me think, oh, I can't really, I'd just be ripping this guy off. At some point, I may still cover it because if I, I over time, I might find something I want to say about it that I feel is different or more unique. But it can be a little bit self-limiting at times. Who wrote that article? Ah, yeah, this it was a really great article by Chris Dolan back in. Oh, it was remade in 2016. No, that's not right. Oh no, it it uh it was by Chris Dolan on September 9th, 2012. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, and it's a very very interesting breakdown about what makes Sense Fortress interesting, but it also means that I have a lot less to talk about because he covered a lot of bases really well. <laughs> it's hard to talk about stuff when somebody else has done a really good job with it. I remember, similarly, when I made my video on my own channel on Super Mario 3D World, shortly after that, or around the same time, Mark Brown, who's also been on the podcast, made another video, a video of his own 
talking about like the four step process of teaching a mechanic in Mario. I'm like, dang, man, that's really smart. I wish I'd thought of that. And it was good. It was good stuff. He makes good content. In the case of Dark Souls, it, it really is the matter. It says, well, it's not just Sten's Fortress, but any level, what hasn't been covered to death by right. YouTubers everywhere. But I guess in, in the case of, like, 3D Marios, it's like, those are barely talked about. They're just sort of like, yes, there was a good game, and wh what else? Yeah. So making a video on that is, like, less of a covering old ground. Or to an extent could also be seen as, like, covering covering old ground that hadn't really been tread, because, to an, I mean... The whole format of video essay analyzing games is still pretty young. I mean, it hasn't been done a ton over time, like at least in video format. I know it's existed in print format for a long time. Uh, and, and so a lot of a modern audience who's used to video essays may not have seen some of those ideas from like a Mario game. Um, so it's one of the reasons why Mark Brown's video, as, in addition to just being a very good video, has done as well as it did. Along that line of thought, what do you think video adds to game criticism? The biggest thing for me is specificity and example. There have been a number of times when I'll show a script to somebody, just somebody in my personal life, to take a look at to see if there are any holes in the explanation or if they can understand it, especially if they're not a gamer. And a lot of the time, the most common questions will be, well, what does this mean? It's like, well, I'll actually show it in the video. And it, it allows you to explain. I, I feel like it allows me to explain concepts that might be very hard to, to understand just verbally, because the video is a clear example of what of what the, the speaker is talking about if edited in a way that I would like it to be. So I think, and actually, it's kind of come back to bite me in the butt a little bit, because I think it was, yeah, my Tomb Raider video for Achievement Hunter, I was explaining a concept that was really complicated to me just thinking about it, which was the idea of gameplay promoting the player to behave in a way that's consistent with the player character's, I guess, values and identity. Like, that was the general idea, and I had a really hard time the entire time while I was writing the piece, like, putting that into words. So I, I, I kind of repeated myself a few times in the, uh, the video, trying to sort of phrase it in different ways so that it was maybe made more clear to somebody who, like me, may not have gotten it right away. And I guess it, partly due to the video being longer than the actual segment I was talking about, and therefore me having to kind of repeat footage to keep it relevant at the time, the combination of some repeated footage and my attempts to rephrase what I was talking about to try to aim for clarity, I think a lot of the audience may have gotten it a lot sooner than I thought they might, just based on my difficulty in putting it into words in my own head. And so there were a lot of complaints like, oh, it's so repetitive. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I guess that sort of means I did my job right if I want to take a positive spin on it. Essentially, it lends clarity. Video lends clarity and example to concept that might be hard to think about in the abstract, as far as I see it. Do you think you could make this type of criticism without the video, or would that present completely different challenges? Uh, I think I could. I mean, I don't know about me personally. I like working with video, but I know that it certainly can be done. I mean, we see a lot of it on a number of gaming journalism and gaming media sites, uh, like the aforementioned Kotaku, PC Gamer, PC Mag. Polygon does a lot of this as well. And individual listeners or viewers may have different opinions about different outlets, but the print form is still a very popular and very effective way to do games criticism. Personally, I think that I work best in video because, as I mentioned before, I have trouble sometimes putting into words some of my thoughts. And, oh, I, I suppose you could see it as a bit of a crush, but I find video to be a very useful medium for sort of translating almost what I'm trying to say through example. 
Okay, I wrote this question while I was doing, like, my uh, refresher course on your videos. Actually, when I was rewatching your journey video, mm -hmm. after I watched some more, I realized it didn't actually apply to most of your work. How do your videos differ from a walkthrough? Because on that first journey video, you you take the player step by step of how they're playing and how each changed section of this level influences the tone and essentially the thematic story going on. But it doesn't actually cover most of what you do otherwise. So I'm going to change how I phrase it to like, what is most important to you in the level? Do you just get the whole conception of it rather than going step by step of how each individual element contributes to that? I try to sort of get a balance between the two. When I'm writing them, I try to sort of, I, I, I start off by brainstorming up a list of individual moments or elements or things about the level that I really like. And then once I have this big list, I try to sort of reorder it in a way that kind of flows to me because I want one point to kind of lead into the next just for the sake of the video flowing in a natural way. But when I get toward the end, I like to try to broaden it. Actually, I try to try to sort of hourglass it, as it were, in terms of the shape. In my like, I say shape, but it's not exactly the right word. But the breadth of the piece, I try to start out and end kind of broad, and in the middle, that's when I get really narrow. Which is to say, I write like pretty much anybody else who does analysis. But I do try to do a mix of both broad view ideas and little tiny ideas. I guess I'd probably lean more toward the broad view simply because I try to emphasize the minutiae that sort of emphasize or add up to supporting the bigger picture that I'm looking at. So I think one of the examples that I think would, that I want to leverage is the, the video I did on, on Halo, the first Halo game, which was the video on the silent cartographer, which to this day is still probably my favorite Halo level, although Assault in the Control Room gives it a good run for its money. And one of the major themes that I wanted to, to or major ideas that I wanted to convey in the video was that of, uh, or I wanted, wanted to underline the fact that the level didn't use any objective markers, didn't use any waypoints, I don't think at all, although I could be forgetting some, to lead the player around. It was a very open level. There wasn't a set linear path, but I wanted to emphasize that even that being the case, there are elements of its design that are meant to lead you in a particular direction. And some of the little things that I use as, as examples in, in service to that point are, are the, the directionality, the, the, the placement of the enemies at the beginning of the level. They're all in a particular path, and they're shooting at you, so you want to go in that direction because, I mean, that's where – I know it's also where all your AI buddies are going. It's, it's very much like uh, Storming the Beach Normandy reference. Uh, and then when you clear them, the, the pelican drops down a, a warthog, and the warthog is pointed in a particular direction. And since the area behind you is already ground you've covered, you want to go to the new ground, so you go forward. But the thing is, you can also go in a complete 180. You can go the other path and tackle the second installation, second facility on the island first if you choose to. In that video, I wanted to underline the fact that while you can do this, there are a lot of little elements that pull you in this particular direction that the developer wants you to take, may want you to take. And I say wants you to take, I don't know for sure for that one because I didn't speak to, I think actually, wait, I might have actually spoken to a developer who made that level. I did, sorry, um, at RTX this past year at an industry party, I actually had to speak to a guy who, who helped make that level and, and we talked for a bit about it. And I think he confirmed that. I can't remember his name off the top of my head and I can't remember if he actually confirmed it for me. So don't take me at gospel. But to an extent, essentially what I'm trying to say is we can sort of ex extrapolate intent from the way the design of a level works, 
but we can't say it strictly. So I try to avoid saying, like, this is what the developer wants you to do. But in the case of Silent Cartographer, getting back to my point, we could pretty safely say that they wanted you to take the path that leads you to in a counterclockwise path around like the island because when you enter that first facility that you encounter along that path, the door locks and you have to go on this other path around to the other facility on the island. They set you know these animations in place. They, they set the door locking. They set the animation for the cinematic when you unlock the door later intentionally. I mean, they want you to see this. I mean, I don't think any game designer puts something in the game they actively do not want players to see. Even Easter eggs, they put them there for people to find, not for people to not find. I actually lost track of where I was going with that. <laughs> Big picture versus minutia. Yes, thank you. I try to keep a balance of the two. I try to have each support the other. And and it really does vary from video to video. I used Halo as an example of where I tried to keep it very balanced, but there are some that have a more broad, broad range. And I think those kind of might actually correlate with the editing that I do. Um, if there are, If I'm trying to do lots of little things, then I'm going to do a lot of little edits to to highlight very particular moments or very particular facets of the level's design. Whereas the ones where I think I take a more of a broad brush approach to them, I can be a little bit more relaxed to edit. Lots of uh, fewer very specific cuts, as it were. And one of those was, I think one of the more broad view ones was Grand Theft Auto V, where I was talking about like why it's important that this whole level makes you do this whole thing in comparison to something like, excuse me, something like Far Cry 3, where... I spend like a minute and a half to two minutes just talking about why it was really funny that the music in the level that I was covering was a mix of um, of reggae and, and dubstep. So it, it, I think it ultimately it varies depending on the game and on the level. Yeah, the comparison I was thinking of was Call, Call of Duty 4 versus Assassin's Creed 3, where in the former you actually go almost on a linear track to show how the tension builds before being cathartically released near the end in how it changes up the different ways you have to commit to stealth. Whereas in Assassin's Creed 3, you go on a lot onto the various options that you can do rather than any specific moments around the fort. Okay. And I think that also mirrors a bit the design of the games that I'm covering. Call of Duty is very linear. It's very, you know, point A to point B. It's very set-piece oriented. It's scripted. Whereas the part of Assassin's Well, there are plenty of scripted moments in Assassin's Creed. The part that I was talking about in that video was a completely optional side area, side objective that you may not even see if you're just doing a beeline through the game. And so I, I think, and I actually like that that contrast there because I hadn't thought really about the comparison between just the elements in one particular game. I guess I did say that it's sort of, it's between, uh, it, it varies depending on the game, but also on the level in the game. So if I were to compare two areas in, a, in the same game, I mean, I've done a video on Central Yarnum and Bloodborne, but interestingly enough, the, or at least to me, the level I was originally planning to cover for that video was Forsaken Castle Canehurst. And I would cover that one very differently than I would cover Central Yarnum because Central Yarnum is a lot more nonlinear than Canehurst. Canehurst really is just one, largely one central path with a couple of little branching side areas. But if I were to talk about Canehurst, and I do want to at some point, the main focus would be how the use of shortcuts in the level makes it a satisfying sort of progressing experience where there is a sense of progress as you move, as you proceed through the level, despite the fact that you're still just starting at the same checkpoint every time. Um, whereas Central Yarnum is interesting to me a lot more for a lot of the little side things that you can find, like in the, the darkened house by the bridge, there's that the item that you can pick up, which is a, it's called a, is it a blood cocktail, I think? Yeah, like a pungent, pungent blood cocktail. There we go. And 
it's an item that's used to, to lure enemies when you throw it on a particular location, and enemies that are vulnerable to it will get drawn to that location. When you pick up that item in the house, it turns out that the item was luring you to its location because there's a guy with a gun right behind you. Like, little moments like that are the things that I'll find more in nonlinear levels, whereas more linear levels that I like, at least, I'll be taking a look at why the linearity works for it. That's what I, where I was talking about with the Call of Duty video. Or I might not even talk about the linearity itself and just talk about how the structure works for me, I guess. This next question is on a subject that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently, and it's more, rather than any specific thing you do to the philosophy behind kind of an undefined term so far, how do you define level? Because in, in some <laughs> games, it's rather obvious. Like Mario's 1-1 one, one is a level. Right. Any particular chapter in a Devil May Cry game, that yeah. is a level. But then you get to, like, open-world games like Assassin's Creed or Grand Theft Auto or Bloodborne, and it says, what actually is a level? Because you can crisscross this same territory multiple times. Is it a mission? Is it an area? What? what how, how do you, like, figure as a level? This is probably going to be the most infuriating answer I give you. It's pretty much whatever I want it to be. <laughs> like, honestly, that's a, a, an amazingly good question because it's one that I ask myself a lot, specifically when I was about to produce the video on Final Fantasy XIII, because the level, air quotes, I was talking about, Cocoon, <laughs> was the first 20 hours of the game or so. Like, first 20-odd hours of the game. Like, really, Max? I'm going to call a 20-hour section of, like, the first half of a game a level? Like, well, I guess... And you do say in the video, this is stretching the definition to its limits. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to the breaking point, yeah. I guess it's kind of a fluid definition for me, mostly because I sometimes want to talk about something that somebody else would be like, really, you're calling that a level? Depending on what game and what level I'm talking about, uh, it could either just be, could be a traditional level, such as you'd find in a Mario game or Devil May Cry or Ninja Gaiden, maybe, at some point. I, I have plans for that one, Ninja Gaiden 2 at least. Or it could be something as broad as, like, an area, in which case I was talking about Cocoon. It's just, like, an entire geographical area in the game. It could be a mission or a quest. So Skyrim, The Way of the Voice. Uh, Skyrim, to, tr to try to call anything in Skyrim a set level other than, say, maybe a dungeon would uh, would be, honestly, I feel like I'd be insulting people <laughs> too much. Um, so well, you so did. I did. I did a little bit. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody got – I think somebody dinged me for that. But it really is any – sort of subsection of a game that I feel I can talk about in any holistic or semi-holistic sense. So, like, if I if it's a section of a game that I feel like I can talk about and say, like, everything that I feel is that, that strikes me as interesting about it in a reasonable amount of time, you know, I'll try to do a video on it. So, and pretty much any game that doesn't have, like, broken up loading sections between specific self-contained areas is going to be kind of a stretch for the de definition of a level. And it's, it's not just like a particular like 3D versus 2D versus platformer versus stealth game versus first-person shooter. It's not, uh, it's, it's not as neatly delineated as that. Like, I remember having trouble with the titles for my videos on Cave Story just because it was hard to define the specific levels in Cave Story because, like, I did one... The first one I did was on on both the, the 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 first cave, just that first area, and the like the outside like outer wall section uh, of the game. And while there is like a transition between areas, and they are self-contained because you just you know you go through these doorways to get through different self-contained areas, it's a very it's a continuous game. You can sit down and play that thing start to finish without encountering a load time. I mean, 
it's a, like an 8-bit styled game, so, I mean, load times weren't really a thing <laughs> uh, for the games that it's trying to, like, sort of uh, harken back to. But I think that level design itself isn't really strictly point A to point B, loading screen to loading screen, Doom or, or Crash Bandicoot or Mario or, or what have you. And so I don't I didn't want to sort of leave out designers whose levels don't really match the typical traditional structure of what is a level. Really, level is a pretty loosely used term um, amongst a lot of the gaming community for that very reason. Because, I mean, games these days take on a lot of different formats. And the term level, it's an older term. It's not to say it's outdated, far from it. It's just that it's gained. Its definition, I'd say, has evolved over time. Yeah, it's kind of a legacy term that has morphed and changed over the years as games have, have evolved and morphed themselves into a different format. Yeah. It's just the fact that it, as a legacy term, we, we toss it around so much that this game has great level design or this game has great levels, but the ending is like sort of, and we just like throw it around without like clearly defining what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, it's a very interpretive term, I'd say. Not to mention that in respect to, like, how we say that this game has great level design and we just says, okay, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and you actually bothered to make uh, 7 to 15-minute videos explaining, well, this is why this game has a particularly good level. Yeah. And it's not always the same reason. Yeah. It's one of the reasons, I think, that I've been able to sort of keep the series going as long as it has. Like, what is a level isn't always going to be the same thing from game to game. So it, it helps to keep it a little bit more fresh when otherwise it's like, really? You're just talking about levels? <laughs> like, that's all you're going to talk about? It's like, well, I mean, there's a lot in a level. I actually do appreciate that because, like, most of the other critics that I've talked about, it's like only Game Maker's Toolkit chooses to focus in on a specific craft design element of a game rather than, like, a holistic approach. Yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately it comes from my my affinity for the idea with Achievement Hunter where they, they don't do game reviews because they only want to talk about the stuff they like. Well, if I were to talk about a whole game... Well, I mean, yeah, I can do a whole game analysis, but if I were to try to to do an analysis that I would feel is complete, com- like comparative to to the work that I do with individual levels, well, I'd be I'd be getting up to Noah Caldwell's your base levels of uh, <laughs> of time on my videos, and not to say anything bad about that, like he's got a mark and he's doing really well. I don't think that I could do long form, at least at that at the length that his videos tend to average, nearly as effectively as he does. And I, I like my niche, as it were. I like 10 to 15 minutes is good enough for me. <laughs> I was wondering, could you, like, do a really in-depth look at, like, at, like the step-by-step elements? Like, uh, I was remembering Justin Cavern way, way back in the day at the beginning of, like, the criticism boom in 08 through 2010. He did several posts, and these were, like, multi-part posts exploring a single level of, like, Deus Ex or Thief the Metal Age going step-by-step step on how everything was constructed. I probably could. I haven't, just because I try to not go over long, at least. Oh, and when I say over long, it's only within my sense of what, like, I think people would want to see. I also couldn't imagine the amount of work that would have to go into creating something that long. That's the other part. <laughs> That's the part that I'm a little, like, it's not to say I couldn't do it. Not to say I wouldn't do it. But it is said you're very intimidated by it. It would be an interesting challenge, but one that I would be interested to take up if a game strikes me as something that I would want to do that for. And, and most recently, I'd say actually the closest contenders for that could be Doom, Titanfall 2, or Dishonored 2. 
actually pretty much just Dishonored 2 because I just finished that last night and it was really good. And there were a lot of different levels that I could talk about differently. But the thing is, with if I'm talking about different levels like that, if individual levels would have something self-contained to talk about, I'd probably just break it up. <laughs> it's, it's what I did with Dark Souls, actually, because I, I feel like a shorter video, at least in my time frame, is more digestible. In my format, I feel like the way that I make videos, they're more digestible at a long, at a shorter length. Because I, 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 the thing that I'm always struggling with when I'm writing mine, when, when I'm writing my scripts, is I try to be as condensed as possible. I try to keep it as brisk, as brief as possible, because, and this is actually something that comes from like my upbringing, like when I was in school, specifically in high school, my Latin teacher of all people. You might not think this is about a, like just a language course, but when we were studying Latin, her tests were the most brutal things in the world. Like by my like my junior and senior years of high school, we were doing translations. Like our tests were like covering like 60 to 80 odd lines of like translation for Latin poetry, as well as like how to analyze them. And one of the things she would ding us on is she would pretty much like bring down points for like a, any additional or any ex, like extraneous words. Like if we were using more words than we needed to say, we would get dinged for it. And that's sort of a mentality that I've carried with me to my writing in, in that I try to explain things with as what I'd say is like as good as small a word to clarity ratio as I can possibly get. And if I were to do a very, very long piece, like a very long form piece on on like an entire game, for instance, Dishonored 2. Knowing me, my bad habits, I would just ramble so much. It would be so boring. Oh, my goodness. I would probably like feel the need to like buy a beer for anybody who stuck it out to the end. <laughs> it would just be long. Uh, so to that end, I would probably break it up into individual videos for individual levels just because being me, I'm like, you know, Every content creator's own worst critic. I just like no one wants to watch two hour video of me. No one wants to watch me for two hours unless it's like broken up into individual videos. They can go back to if they need to. I guess it's also partly due to my like my own like attention span, which is like getting worse by the day. It's like oh, I'll watch five minutes of a video and then come back two days later. So for for something like Dishonored Two, there are I think to my mind already at least like three or four different levels that I that would be contenders for videos. And while I could probably, you know, sit down and spend like a month writing a piece and then record it and edit it over like span of a week into some like movie length masterpiece, not really a masterpiece. I don't think that highly of my work, but I'm flattered to those who, who disagree with me on that. I think it would be more digestible if we were broken up into individual videos. I'm sure somebody cynical out there is like, oh, it's a bad revenue. It's like, whatever. I don't, at least on my channel, I've never monetized anything. So no. <laughs> You moved your series from your own channel to Achievement Hunter. How did that come about? That, I actually like, I, I like this story because it gives me all the warm fuzzies. I mentioned earlier that Jack Patillo was a large influence on me coming up with the idea for the series in the first place. So I was at PAX East in 2015, just under two years ago, and I saw at walking past the Rooster Teeth booth that he was one of the people there. So I'm like, oh, man, Jack Patillo's here. If I don't go and say hi to him now... I'm going to regret it the rest of my life. So I did. I, I, you know, I got the guts together. I, I introduced myself and explained like his role, albeit a passive one, in giving me the idea to make this content. And then a couple months later, no, wait, was it a, it was, a, I think about a month later, I was going over to, I was, I was on my way out from, out of work on the way to, uh, to my doctor. And I, I just look at Twitter haphazardly and I see toward the top of my Twitter feed, 
Jack was tweeting something. He was like, I met this guy at PAX East who made videos on level design. He made videos on this and that. And, and I think it was like on Assassin's Creed 2 and Doom. I actually haven't covered those, but I want to at some point. I think it was because I, I sent him the link to my Assassin's Creed 3 video. He had liked it because I know he's a big Assassin's Creed guy. And so I replied, I'm like, well, was it me by any chance? He goes, yes, it was you. It was you. Like, everybody like everybody watches it. I was like, I was blown away at that point. But that was the start of a, a sort of back and forth whenever I would put a video out. He would frequently like the post on Twitter and I, or retweet it. And I was like, oh, this is really flattering. But then, and, and this was actually just before my first actual gap in production, which was kind of funny to me. That was right around the gap. But when I got back into it, it was after my second yeah second dark souls video he followed me and so i was like oh oh that's different and then in november of 2015 just after rooster teeth held their 24 25 hour marathon live stream to raise money for for extra life i dm'd him on twitter just congratulating them on all the money they'd raised because they had raised an, a frankly absurd amount of money for kids, and they do this annually, uh, if you weren't aware of this and are just hearing about this for the first time on this podcast, I highly encourage you to support uh, when they do it again this upcoming fall. I messaged him. He replies saying, like, oh, I'm glad you're part of the community. I actually had some questions for you. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> you have questions for me? And he sent me, like, the email address that I should use to reach him at, at RT. I was like, okay, Max, don't get too excited. Don't don't freak out. Don't freak, don't freak out. I emailed him, and he, he asked if I wanted to produce the series on contract for Achievement Hunter. And because that's basically like all I've ever wanted out of life. That's that's actually a bit of, ex- of an exaggeration, but it is something that I always wanted to do is hopefully work with Rooster Teeth, seeing as both Jack and Bernie Burns. Well, Bernie Burns always saying on the podcast, like if you want to if you want to work with someone like RT, just make stuff. I'm like, okay, I'll make stuff, and that's helped me get the kick in the butt I needed to, to start the series in the first place. Sorry, you can. That's partially answering a question from like 30 minutes ago. Sorry, <laughs> but. Because both Bernie and Jack had had an influence on on my series, like, well, yeah, <laughs> I want to do that. And so, long story short, I, they they asked me to do to produce some content for them. Um, sort of like a there was like a test run of six episodes, and, and they liked the content. They still do like the content. And as of now, we're uh, trying to get all the longer term contract stuff all squared away, set up for a longer another run of more videos. So if you're listening to this and you're lamenting the fact that I haven't sent out an update on what the status of the series is in a long time, well, it's there, there's going to be more. <laughs> it's just the contract stuff kind of moves slowly, um, especially when it's uh, when the contractor, the client, is as busy as Achievement Hunter is because just not just Achievement Hunter, but Rooster Teeth has been growing like crazy in the last couple of years, which is something for which I'm extremely grateful because I don't know if they hadn't been growing as much, maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to work with them. Um, so I'm looking forward to working with them more. Yeah, I've I've noticed it was a great boon to you because like you were like the highest you ever got on your own channel was about like seventeen to eighteen thousand views. Yeah, and just on any random one from Achievement Hunter, it's already at sixty five thousand. Yeah, so it it just has an exponentially higher audience. And that was really everything I could ask for because having the opportunity not just to work with these people I admire, but also to reach a broader audience. It, I mean, it's everything, right? It's, it's everything. That, that somebody wants when they're producing content. I'm eternally grateful for the opportunity to work with them. It may sound like I'm shilling, but I'm not. It's just, it's really cool. <laughs> it's a really cool experience. I'm, st- I'm like, 
I'm still a fan. Like, I'm still more fan than employee. I'm, I'm, I'm a contractor, but I, I'm a big fan of the stuff they do. So, yeah, I'm going to gush. Deal with it. <laughs> Sorry. But on your end, while you're, like, waiting for the contract work to come out, have you still been, like, working to make the videos? It's a little bit of little column A, little column B, little, little bit of yes, little bit of no. Lately, uh, around when the contract, the initial videos, like, the initially requested videos were through back in May, I was working full-time and part-time in addition to the video production. So at that point, I was okay with just taking a little bit of time to just kind of, like, map out future videos and, like, what the next run would be, like, what, I'm, what I want to cover. And I'm always doing that, really. I'm always on the other. I'm always, whenever I'm playing a game, a new game I haven't played before, I'm like, oh, would this be good? And every time I have a really fun time, I'm like, okay, yep, that's on the list. I think the most recent on the list are uh, Effect and Cause from Titanfall 2. And I think a crack in the slab or the clockwork mansion from Dishonored 2 are both big contenders. But in terms of the actual, like, brainstorming and scripting, I've done some, not a ton, uh, just because even since the full-time position I was working on finished up, uh, I started not full-time but more part-time with my part-time job, which is swim coaching. I'm currently the, the head coach for, the like, sort of the developmental side of the, the swim club I, I coach for, and that takes a lot of time because I have up until then not been a head coach of anything. So it's, it's just a lot of time there. I have been working on some brainstorming and some scripting for at least one or two videos that are going to be on the next run, as well as some behind-the-scenes prep work for potentially another series. I, I received a pitch in early September, I think, or late August. I think it was early September for something that we're trying to put together internally. We're not sure if it's going to get greenlit, so I don't want to go into too much detail just because I don't I, I don't like to be a hype man because like, I feel like if I hype something, inevitably somebody's going to be disappointed. <laughs> As you can see, I'm a real ray of sunshine. Uh, um, but I, I also don't really want to, I don't want to hype up an internal thing if it doesn't come to pass because then I feel like I'm making promises that I don't follow through on, and I don't want to do that. And we all know how dangerous that is in games. Exactly, right? <laughs> well, it was um, No Man's Sky was the big one for 2016, yeah. right? That was the one that got all the ire. That, and I think... I'd love to see how you do a great level in gaming of No Man's Sky. That would be tricky. <laughs> that would be very good. I feel like that, like I feel like that game was almost like designed intentionally to be like, yeah, we dare you to make a level design video on this. Like, well, I can't. <laughs> there are no levels. It's all random. Um, actually, I have on occasion had sort of a like a gut idea to maybe do a great levels in gaming on Minecraft, just tongue in cheek for like April Fools, just to see if people take me seriously. Or, like this level in Diablo too. It's like, uh. <laughs> See how long you could go for. Yeah, yeah. Or just, like, see how many angry comments I get for people who don't realize that I'm being tongue-in-cheek about it. But that all goes back to the uh, same reason why I don't want to do negative content. I don't think I'm funny enough to pull that off. So we'll see. I don't know. That might be something I pull off later on. We'll see if I get the confidence to try to make jokes. Well, I, I mean, I make jokes in my videos, but I make dad jokes. They're not good jokes. Yeah, I was about to ask about the puns at the end of almost every video. They sort of disappeared near the end. Oh. But I tried to put. Can, I tried to sneak them in. I think I can't remember what I did for K Story if I had one at all. I tried to like. I think there have been fewer of them because some of them felt a little too forced. Which I'm sure somebody yeah. like be like, of course they weren't forced. They're puns. But no, a lot of them were just like <laughs> I wanted to make a pun because I make puns. Like those who know me in in everyday life I mean, know so that trying I trying to be negative. Yeah, it was like it was like trying to be. It's like, but I can't be negative about this level because that would be a far cry for me. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Well. 
Some of them are, again, some of them are more natural than others. Despite the fact that there were three puns in a single sentence, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, real easy pun. I didn't have to force that. It just kind of happened. Like Russian Putin and Stalin. Yeah, that, that was the one when I realized, wait a minute, is this a thing, yeah, it's a thing he's I doing? Do. <laughs> it, it's just part of, like, I make puns a lot on my own in general. But it's gotten, I think, either better or worse, depending on your opinion of puns, over the past couple of years. Because since 2012, well, actually since 2010, no? Late 09, I've either done volunteer or part-time swim coaching. The thing about coaching kids, they're kids. If you're going to be funny, it has to be clean humor. If it's going to be clean humor, it's going to be dad jokes. And if it's going to be dad jokes, it's going to be puns. Like, half of them are puns. So it was. I guess I'm just naturally inclined toward them. I, I like them a lot, and I try to fit them in if I can. Sometimes it has felt too forced, and I just couldn't do it. I think there was one on my personal channel on which I just didn't do one because I was like, no, this level's... Oh, it was... No, it wasn't on my personal channel. It was the one on Grand Theft Auto V. I was like, I'm not making a pun on this. It's too depressing. I can't do it. I've just talked about torture for, like, 12 minutes. I can't make a pun. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, puns are just how I do. It's a thing. <laughs> Is there anything else about your work that you feel I haven't covered or we haven't covered? I don't know. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered it all. I guess I'm just grateful uh, for you inviting me on the podcast. This is cool. All right. In that case, we have the final question. All right. What is your favorite video game of all time? Oh, oh no. I can't do that. No. My entire thing is I do, almost do no repeats. It's, it's, I, you know what? Actually, no, I do have an answer, and it's only half of a cop-out. My favorite game is whatever game I'm playing at the moment. How is that half a cop Oh, it's a total cop-out. I was kind of being generous <laughs> to myself. No, I think if I had to pick one favorite game of all time, and this is a really hard pick because I've got a lot of favorites, Superman 64. No, I haven't played I, The only N64 game I own is GoldenEye. Shoot, what would be my favorite game of all time? Oh, man. I'd say right now, if I had to pick three, it would be somewhere between Journey, Dark Souls, and Dishonored. Like, Dishonored 2, sorry, Dishonored 2, because I actually do think, in my opinion, Dishonored 2 improved on the first one. And with that last desperation grasp, we actually continue our streak of having no duplicates on the favorite games. Like, there's got to be an older one, though, because, like, somebody's going to be like, oh, he only likes modern games. I was actually wondering about that. Is like, all the games that you've covered in great levels are, like, recent ones. Have you ever thought about going back and doing a classic other than Cave Story? Oh, totally. A lot of the reason that a lot of them have been modern has been that they're fresher in my mind. But also, it's it's not really a, like, it's not me taking, like, a principled stand. Like, yes, games, good games are still being made. Although that's kind of just as a consequence. Like, yeah, we're going to highlight that, yeah, games design is really good now, on by and large. But it's, it's really just, like, whatever's freshest in my mind is going to be what I want to make a video on. For example, like, Far Cry 3, the second video I did, I'd only played Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon a year before that. Not even a year. And then I picked up Far Cry 3 in, like, a summer sale. And it, when I played that, like, I had a list of levels I already wanted to cover. But when I played Kick the Hornet's Nest, I was like, oh, yeah, that's on the list. That's number two. We're doing that next. <laughs> and so, like, that happens a lot. And that's what Call of Duty 4 happened to me. It's like, oh, I, I might as well do this one now, I guess. And so it's it's the ones that are newer are the ones I'm probably going to be playing and the ones that are going to be fresher in my mind. And as a result, they're the ones I feel like I can talk about with a greater degree of effectiveness. That said, older games I like, well, Crash Bandicoot 3 and Spyro the Dragon were, like, my first two console games ever, and I still love them. Final Fantasy VII was my first JRPG that wasn't Pokemon, and is amazing. I love it. 
And I look forward to you doing your 1N64 game. <laughs> well, that might not be great levels of gaming. I did say I was trying to do some work on something internally, and it, GoldenEye might show up for that, if it ever sees the light of day. Well, in any case, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. Can you tell the people where they can find you? Um, you can find me on YouTube. I am My channel's named Max Barnyard, uh, all lowercase, no spaces or caps or uh, no spaces or punctuation or anything. I per- do most all of my social media through Twitter, at Max Barnyard. And if people want to get in touch with me, best way is probably by email, uh, greatlevelsingaming at gmail.com. Yes, and if you like the podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. We have so few, and I get a warm, fuzzy, gleeful feeling in me when I get a new one. It helps promote it through the service. And if you like this podcast and all our other work at Critical Distance, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash critdistance. It helps keep the lights on, and any more donations will go towards help fund future projects that we want to get done. Again, thank you for coming on. It's been a blast.